The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org.
makes it a higher risk um, for health.
has not entered any number. Please re-enter your meeting ID followed by count. Three, eight, one. Six, four, zero, one. Zero, six, seven, nine. Enter your participant ID followed by pound. Otherwise, just press pound because you have joined the meeting at the time and will be muted throughout the meeting. The host would like to warn you that your microphone you can say not good, not join you. For There would have to be an acknowledgement that it exists. Well, that would be, oh. At this point, there's no acknowledgement that it even exists. Everybody knows it. Yep.
I, yeah, I got a iPhone on like the last upgrade. It was like buy one on the oh, sure. family yeah. plan or whatever, but then okay. that ran out or time for upgrade and I was like, and then try got to go back to Android. Yeah. Like, it thought I remember it. Yeah. 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 I was like, no, I can't. Uh, I had it for two years. Like, I'm not. So sure. I'm relearned it. Aaron? Everything. So, all right, now, do we need to start the whole thing over again? I have to start the recorders, so at least whatever you want to do. Let me just quickly get them both started. Yeah. I have a booth. I yeah, I'm just going to pick up from where we left, from where we left off. I think that, I don't know, I think we'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, uh, moving on in the agenda, uh, we've got our community sustainability plan um, as an ongoing uh, agenda item. Jamie McCarthy uh, was going to try to come this month, um, but wasn't able to make it. Um, so whether we meet again in December or January, it's very likely that she will come and meet with us again to give us an update. Um, specifically, she'll be able to update us about um, the hiring process for the sustainability uh, planner position. Um, which she did share um, a little bit of that today, uh, but I don't know if we have time to kind of go over it. I'd rather have her kind of share that than just me read it from, from an email. Um, other than that, is anybody else aware of any other updates with the sustainability plan or anything going on with that this month? I'd love to know that update that, yeah. that you have. Yeah. Um, I mean, we can take a look at it here. Uh, where... Where did that go? So sustainability plan. Um, this is some background from Jamie. Um, staff identified the need for a staff member when drafting uh, the community sustainability plan. It's a new role to the city that's focused on facilitating collaboration between departments to Im implement the community sustainability plan. Um, when developing the plan, it became clear implement implementation cannot happen without a single or within a single department whether named sustainability or an existing department. The position will work both internally and externally, especially at the neighborhood scale. So placing the position as a planner in the, what is that, community planning and economic development uh, will connect it to key staff, such as the neighborhood activator, housing, buildings, transportation collaboration with public services, et cetera. Um, accounting for fiscal and political realities one new staff at the coordinator level is right-sized to our tax revenue and budget and staffing levels at the city overall. Since there is no new revenue at this time to support a new department, the city committed to a new coordinator slash planner to accelerate uh, community sustainability plan implementation in the first couple of years. Future, grow, uh, future growth in city capacity is certainly something we're looking forward to and even inspired by voters in places like, what's that, A2? And Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor. Oh, I'm sorry. And 
Thank you for uh, translating for me. And youth who spoke out at Kalamazoo City Commission meeting recently who elevated sustainability and climate. Um, the next bullet point is that city does not have regu uh, regulatory role or authority over external entities or emissions. However, we are positioned to be a sustainability leader and supporter, which doesn't require an entire department. City will strategically leverage and or grow capacity beyond city staffing that will be more impactful. For example, using FSE funding, the city is partnering with uh, Kalamazoo Neighborhood Housing, NHS, and uh, the Green Home Institute, who already have tons of experience in green affordable housing, to pilot uh, the U.S. Department of Energy Home Energy Score and fill in gaps in weatherizing needs in the city. So the city does not need to be an expert or have staff to run an internal program. Instead, we are acting as a convener who facilitates new initiatives and brings funding to Kalamazoo, such as FSE or IRA. But really the, the plan is written so that there's a little from column A and a little from column B, so that some of the city's role, and I'm not correcting her here, but some of the city's role is to, is to facilitate and support. Some of the city's role is to directly measure and look at, at uh, emissions data. Um, examples from peer communities, uh, Kalamazoo County recently voted to create a sustainability coordinator position. The city is working with county planning to make sure these roles can collaborate and network together as a new cohort for Greater Kalamazoo. And recently at the Michigan Sustainability Conference, we saw a mix of positions that were representing local municipalities on sustainability and climate, many in the planning profession, several in public works, very few with a sustainability title alone. The outliers were Ann Arbor, Grand Rapids, and Oakland County with standalone directors or departments. So we would be the fourth in the, um, in the state, I, I assume, and interest, or at least to, you know, who attended this conference. And interestingly, in the past, I always saw the directors at these conferences, and this year, neither the Grand Rapids or the Ann, Arbor's, uh, Ann Arbor directors attended. So more and more is what I hear from, from this, is that um, cities and municipalities are, you know, developing these, these types of positions. That was, that was the update from Jamie me so hopefully I said it all right um, all right uh, we also have an ongoing uh, agenda item Kalamazoo River and Marl Lake Dam cleanup um, is there any anybody have any update on that the only update worth sharing is the one party that submitted legislation to potentially go after the polluters now controls the entire Michigan government for the first time in my lifetime so maybe we'll see some movement from Sean McCann and Julie Rogers um, bill. That would be a huge benefit to the community. I'm sure the mayor's support would be useful in that. Uh, I know they're in talks. So I hope this leads to some good news, I guess, even though it's technically part of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would be great to see that polluter pay bill come out of committee and get onto the floor and, uh, you know, so that we can get some more money uh, into the clean up specifically for the Kalamazoo River and generally overall bring future environmental uh, issues. Yeah, that was a that was a big yeah, that was a big big deal. Uh, anybody else? Any other any other updates? I can't remember who's doing uh, who's uh, visiting the um, Kalamazoo River Watershed Council. That's you, right, yep. David? And uh, I'll be at the meeting next week. Okay. Great. Did appreciate that Eagle left the fine on GPI for their discharge. Uh, it kind of sucks that that's paired with a giant tax break from the city because then we're paying for that fine. 
Right. Was the was the fine for the for this recent uh, spill? I think so. Oh, okay. I thought there was an addi- there was an additional fine then. The the I fine that taken. that I read about was uh, based on emission. Correct. There's, yeah. there's been no okay. nothing to address the recent spill. Mm. Okay. Thanks for the clarification. Yeah. yeah. Still not aware of what it is. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay, moving on to new business. Um, so we have some representatives with us from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Thanks so much for coming to our meeting this evening. Um, and we were hoping uh, we, we can start with kind of a list of questions, but then obviously we might have some follow-up questions. Um, so let, let's go ahead and get started with this. The, the first question we have for you is, why is this air quality report taking so long to complete? We've got years of data, um, at least from the Kalamazoo Water Reclamation Plant, um, regarding hydrogen sulfide uh, emissions. Why is it taking so long to um, analyze and, and, and you know, communicate, communicate out what, what that data is, is showing? That's a, that's a really good question, and I'll, I'll try to answer it the best that I can. Um, the question from us from the community came to us in August of 2020, and you're right, we have years of data that the uh, water reclamation plant has out in the community with their monitors. And that's exactly it. We have a 2020 report and then we have data through 2021. Um, our health consultation is um, looking to address several concerns and questions that have um, come to us through the community. And that is part of that is that environmental sampling data and monitoring data. But it's also we had questions related to asthma. And so we also work with our asthma epidemiologists that looked at um, prevalence and hospitalization rates. And then we're also looking at community stress within our, within our document, within our health consultation document. And so you're right, that looks, that's looking at a big set of data. So we have our environmental data that is involved that's looking from 2020 all through 2021. And then we also even acknowledge the May 2022 drone study that Eagle has uh, done over the uh, wastewater reclamation plant. Uh, so it takes time to get that data to help us understand that data. We need to look at it. We need to analyze it and interpret it. And then we also need to put it then into that health consultation that um, provides a message, a clear message to folks to be able to understand that um, information. Um, so throughout this process, we've, we've looked at that data. We have a health consultation that is drafted, and it is currently in the process of going through a scientific um, evaluation review. And that is something that we do with our uh, works that we have in our uh, division. We have subject matter experts that look at our documents that we do. And during that process of our scientific um, evaluation, we have feedback. We have questions, comments that come back to our author, that go through management, go through our uh, subject matter experts. And that during that time, there's that feedback loop and understanding to make sure that we are producing a document that has um, clear, scientific, act, scientifically accurate information that's also communicated clearly and appropriate for all audiences. Um, throughout that process, that is a, it is a long process to, to have those um, documents available. Uh, I know that as we were looking at the data, we um, reviewed that data as it was coming in, the data that was provided to us. And throughout that time, we never identified an urgent public health risk. Uh, if there was an urgent public health risk identified through that process, then the public would have been immediately notified and uh, aware of that public health risk that was identified. Uh, 
we're working as fast as we can to release it, the document for you, and I just really appreciate you guys inviting us here and um, understanding our process. Any follow-up questions? Yeah. Um, so have there been uh, similar studies that you've done in other cases, and how long have those taken? We have, we write health consultations. That's what we do. Um, uh, the unit that I work, that I'm the manager for, I am the unit manager for the Environmental Assessment and ATSDR unit. What ATSDR stands for is the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry. That means, um, what we, why I have that name is because we have a cooperative agreement with um, the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry with CDC. And the whole job for there is to do those health assessments for uh, Superfund sites. And so that, that's what we do. So we have health consultations that look at all sorts of media exposures and exposure routes. Um, and it is a very long process for health consultations because we need the data to support that message or that, that finding to answer those questions that are being asked for us. Follow-up questions? Yeah, a couple of questions. The samplings that are done, are they done at night? And if they're done by drone, what level are they done at? Um, I don't know if you want to take this, I can start and you can fill in. How about sure. that, Brandon? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so the samplings that, that we've looked at, um, the drone study was just one unique drone study that Eagle did, and um, that was uh, taken during during that study, and that was just in the airspace above the, uh, the reclamation plant. Okay. Uh, we looked at the monitors that the the city has within the community, those are running 24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So that is a continuous monitoring um, look that we look at. And then also some of the reports had um, grab samples that were like initially just opened up and grabbed a sample through a Tedlar bag or through a SUMA canister canister. That way some of them were collected at eight hour frequency, 20 hour, 24 hour frequency. That's mean that they had a flow controller that Pulled in a sample for a certain amount of time, um, so there was a variety of different samples and monitoring. So they're largely at ground level, and, and they do take them at night. Uh, throughout you... the day and throughout nighttime. Okay. Both. Yes. Yeah. Anything else? You want part to of that add? data also from uh, uh, similar EnviroSuite data uh, over time from uh, graphic packaging. Uh, go ahead. We yeah. So the graphic packaging, they also have those monitors set up around their around their um, facility. Right. Um, our investigation is focused on community health concerns. So while we do look at that data, we consider it, um, that would not be used to inform you know, our assessment because we focus on community. While we have that and we've reviewed it, right. um, we would not use that to draw public health concerns. We would use our data directly. So that data comes from their, from their property. Exactly. But you have that data for them over, uh, over an extended period of time. We do. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, just a quick one. So you said there wasn't an urgent public health risk identified. Can you talk about what that threshold is and maybe provide an example somewhere else in the state that something has met that threshold and people? You or Bill can answer that one. I can answer like for other areas where we can immediate, but do you want to talk about this specifically? Yeah, I guess so for an urgent health risk, this is when like life is an immediate danger. Um, or there's you know, life or, or permanent injury is immediately endangered to a large number of people. What is immediately? 
that's where we would have, um, I'm trying to think of a good example here. Um, we had a, um, I think if we have a, like an immediate release through, through a facility or something that had a, an accident, like a facility accident or something like that, they had large quantities of an emission or a spill or something that could impact um, the community that at levels of a risk that would immediately say, hey, you've got to either shelter inside your home or you need to stop drinking whatever that has been, you know, has been contaminated, something along that lines that is just going to say that you have such an exposure risk here that you should not be consuming it, touching it, or breathing it. And so there's no threshold for chronic risk? There is threshold for, for chronic risk, okay. but that was not an immediate health or an endangerment to, to a community. But, but there I mean, is, a, there are chronic takes, risks. If a report takes three years, so you have a three-year window, theoretically, somebody can get ill in three years of exposure to something. That mean that they should be informed in that window as well. Does that question make sense? It makes sense. I don't know. Well, I, I think when we when we talk about um, thresholds, you know, we use screening levels, mm -hmm. and screening levels are meant to be that just that screening levels to determine whether we need to do further investigation. Um, a lot of our screening values that we use are health-based. But what it means is if you exceed that screening level, it's not an absolute. It doesn't mean that you're going to get ill or you're going to experience adverse health effects. It, it's a risk. So so there's no, as opposed to like a, what we talked about earlier, acute, immediate health effects. There's, there's, a, there's a threshold to see where, hey, there's, if you're exposed, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to get be adversely affected. For these chronic exposures, it, again, it's a risk, but it's 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 not it's not an absolute. So. Does that help answer your question? I think so. A clarification. So, what is the time threshold where acute becomes chronic? So, at what point is it acute, and at what point does it become chronic? I can talk about that a bit. Um, so, it kind of depends on what agency you talk to and what agency is setting the different values. They'll talk a lot about screening values, so I guess I can kind of go into that discussion. I know there was a question that was related. So um, there are a lot of different screening values that are assessed, or excuse me, that are that, are, that have been identified, um, different types of screening values. Um, we use health-based screening values based on the health effects that have been determined in toxicological or epidemiological studies. Um, and we generally use those set by agencies like ATSCR, EPA, um, as well as um, as well as one set by our partner agency Eagle, um, and for ATSDR they have three different screening um, levels. They have um, acute duration, which would be like an exposure of one to 14 days, and they have an intermediate, which is about 14 days to a year, and then chronic, which would be anything lasting over a year. Um, EPA also has a screening level called a reference concentration or a reference dose, and that would be applicable to exposures lasting over a lifetime. So you're thinking like decades of exposure. Um, and in this situation, we've been using the ATSDR acute and intermediate, um, what are called minimal risk levels or MRLs, to um, assess hydrogen sulfide in particular. Um, and ATSDR has not come out with a chronic MRL for 
hydrogen sulfide. So in the absence of that, we've been using the EPA reference concentration for hydrogen sulfide. Um, and those three values are kind of what we've used specifically to assess hydrogen sulfide. We've assessed many other chemicals other than that based on the sampling data that we have um, and have used other values in addition to those three for those other chemicals. So what is that, is, what is that value? Is there a specific parts per billion yep. over time for hydrogen sulfide for yep. outdoor exposure? What, what is that? There are, yep. I can read those off. I got them here. So the, the acute minimal risk level for hydrogen sulfide, that's 70 parts per billion. The uh, intermediate MRL is 20 parts per billion. And then the uh, EPA reference concentration is 1.4 parts per billion. One small follow-up question and I'm done. Uh, so I learned doing some research on the Flint water crisis recently uh, that the less concentration levels uh, set by the EPA are not science-based. Uh, and so I'm wondering if these concentration levels you're talking about are science-based or regulatory-based? They are science-based. Um, I can tell you the um, ATSCR um, acute level was based on a um, study, an epidemiological study that looked at um, people with asthma who were um, exposed to hydrogen sulfide. Um, and then the EPA reference concentration and as well as the uh, ATSCR intermediate level are both based on a um, rat study that was completed with uh, experimental rats. Ten weeks. Then results from those, you know, the concentrations that they were exposed at were taken, um, and then um, derived these levels. It's not just the levels that they were exposed at. So, for example, in the um, reference concentration, 1.4 parts per billion. That's not saying that the rats were exposed at 1.4 parts per billion and effects were noticed. Um, the rats were exposed at levels much higher than that. But in order to extrapolate down to say what is it, what are, what is the level that we're confident is you know, not a level below which, you know, anyone's going to be harmed, we have to incorporate all these different factors. We have to be able to extrapolate from an animal to a person. We know that rats are different than people. So we have to have those levels um, incorporated. We also know that people vary, right? Everyone has a different susceptibility to chemicals and chemical exposures. Everyone's bodies are different. Genetics play a factor. Um, diet, exercise all play a factor. Um, and there's also uncertainty levels based on kind of what data is available and what's been tested. Um, that also has to be incorporated when those values are. That's how you get, you know, from all the way down to 1.4 parts per billion when in that study they were looking at levels around like 10 to 90 parts per billion as opposed to much higher levels that were seen in that. Just, just, uh, just to reemphasize the point, these screening levels that Brandon is talking about were developed for use for public health purposes. They weren't developed for regulatory purposes. So they have, I just want to make that distinction. Yeah. Just one more question and to follow up with uh, where Ian's line of questioning was going. The the public is, is very concerned about the delay. And part of that is we were expecting this report in March. And so we're now several months in. So we're well into that intermediate period and very close uh, approaching the chronic period. So that means that people are being exposed into that period in which they could have negative health effects and they're not being informed. So yeah, just want to make that, that clear that people are very concerned about the effects on their health. Sure. Follow up. Uh, who makes the final decision on when the report is complete? So um, 
as I mentioned before, this report is going through that scientific review, so we're having that feedback back and forth, the comments, answering the comments. And um, that is that process that we're going through, and that takes a while. So once we get through that scientific, scientific um, evaluation, that report will be complete, and it will be approved for release. Um. I'm sorry, so is that expected like before the end of, before the end of the calendar year, or like six months? Or? It, it's going to be released when we're when we're ready, when okay. it's ready to go out. Yeah. I mean, is there no deadline? Do you not say this report is due on this date, and let's get the scientific review completed by a certain date? I mean, most I've worked on a lot of studies. And there is a date that it has to be done. There, there is a process, and and with that feedback, so what can occur is like we'll have feedback, and that will may then require edits or updates or something that makes the document you know, not different, but makes it stronger than what it was before. So it's hard to determine what that time frame is from those comments, the, the updates, getting back more comments, things like that. Our goal for having this released is as soon as we possibly can and as soon as these edits are, are completed. So, our base, so if I'm understanding correctly, you're basically at the last step. We are at the last step, okay. yes. Okay. We are very happy about that. Okay. Um, I guess going back to these, these numbers, if, if you're telling us that between 1.4 parts per billion, and what was the, that was the intermediate, what was the chronic number? Uh, correction, that was the uh, reference concentration. Okay. What, what did you say, what, what were the numbers for uh, so the chronic acute, and intermediate? The acute, um, the ATSDR acute minimal risk level, um, that's 70 parts per billion, mm -hmm. one to 14 days. Mm -hmm. um, and then the intermediate is kind of the um, next duration um, from 14 to 300. Mm -hmm. And then the next one is that reference concentration, 1.4 parts per billion for a lifetime exposure. And we have data over time over the last several years that there is, uh, you know, there's almost a constant level above 1.4 parts per billion, mm -hmm. at least as it's, as it's uh, monitored, and sometimes hovering around 10 or 20 parts per billion. Correct. So would I be correct to take from what you're saying that, that if, you know, if there's, uh, frequently between 10 and 20 parts per billion that there we should assume that there that would have some impact on on human health however that is that is just the um, screening value again so we look at that and we see we see the exceedances that you're seeing right we see that they're above that 1.4 and they're above consistently yeah um, that's above background level that's above what you would expect for you know a normal mm -hmm. um, um, but we need to look at that holistically. We need to look at all of the data that we have. So all of the different um, EnviroSuite monitors that are, that are out there. There are several. Um, the city has them. We know that Eagle took some samples as well. Um, it's, it's, not a, it's not a question of necessarily just is this above, but you know, what's the extent and what are the implications of this? What does this mean for our health as opposed to just you know, is it above this number? There's a lot of different um, considerations there about looking at what's there and how to interpret that and come out with what is this meaning for people who are living here and who may be. Um, you, you mentioned other similar reports. This is kind of what you do every day. 
how in the past with other reports, how have you addressed, um, because the hydrogen sulfide isn't just, you know, the only factor playing in it. There's a multitude of factors that play into public health. So what does that look like in reports from Department of Health and Human Services uh, when you have to look at so many variables uh, that, that go into public health? I mentioned before that we are part, we have that cooperative agreement with the ATSCR. And as through that cooperative agreement, we actually have to follow their guidance manual. They have a public health assessment guidance manual that we have to follow. And that takes into account um, community concerns, community questions. It takes into more than just the environmental data that is um, uh, presented to us, but we need, so we look at it. Um, from a standpoint, you know, with the example of the one that we, we have here, we have more than just the environmental data. We pulled in our um, asthma epidemiologist to look at that question of concern. We're looking at community stress. So through that public health assessment guidance manual, it talks us through those processes and the steps that we need to take to make sure we have that full picture. You are using city Enviro Suite data, but not traffic packaging Enviro Suite data. Maybe you just maybe said that you your other you're looking at these numbers in context, taking other data that's been collected. You previously said you weren't using data collected by graphic packaging, um, but you just mentioned well, that you are using data supplied from the city. Is that, is that correct? Me, yeah. Well, let me clarify that. So. Um, we aren't comparing the graphic packaging data to our values. We're not using that to determine if there's a community health concern or not. Um, we are looking at that and, and seeing what those levels are like compared to the community. We are assessing that. You know, if we see levels from graphic packaging, let's say hypothetically, that are you know sky high, we're not just going to say, well, that's not in the community. That doesn't mean anything. We're going to ignore it. We're going to look at that and consider that. But when we do our comparison, we are you know. If we're seeing something, then we would say, well, we need to get more data if we're seeing something concerning here at Graphic Packaging. Um, with the cities, those are they do have monitors set up um, in the community that's directly applicable to our screening values and our processes. Um, and we also have they also have some sensors set up in their own facility. We consider that data too. We we look at everything that is there. Does that answer that? Yeah. Okay. Any questions? Uh, in the event that, uh, you know, there is some uh, documentation of demonstrable negative health outcomes due to hydrogen sulfide and other gases, um, what enforcement power does Michigan Department of Health and Human Services have to do something about it? Uh, we are not an environmental regulatory agency, so we do not have uh, environmental enforcement. that would be more eagle. Yes, they are the, the environmental regulatory agency. Has there been, you know, can you think of a time in the past that you've released a report that has shown, you know, uh, some documentable um, uh, negative impact on, on health of a given community? And has there been some collaboration between Department of Health and Human Services and Eagle to yeah, yeah. Um, we we work with our stakeholders and with our other sister agencies such as Eagle, the local public health um, department. Uh, to think of an example, not from an inhalation or breathing example, but from a uh, water exposure. You know, we work with our our sister agencies to collect data, understand that data, 
and then come up with public health actions such as having something as a drinking water filter to help stop mitigate that exposure through that um, process. So we come up with public health actions that can um, that we work through with our agencies, our sister agencies to uh, work in the community. Um, do we have any other questions? Uh, sorry, maybe this was addressed, but um, still thinking about the data set a little bit. Is there any um, kind of as our caller suggested, any like canvassing of residents in the area? Um, I think you mentioned you're looking at hospitalizations as well, but um, are there any attempts to reach out to folks in the area that are most asking for this, either like blood samples or anything like that? Is there, what kind of public direct outreach are you guys doing? Well, part of our team is we have community engagement and health educators um, with our team. As Carolyn is here to help introduce and like just get the feel for our community here too. Um, so through that process, uh, through those team members, that helps us understand and have that um, relationship with our community and hearing those questions and those concerns. Uh, what we will, what we do through this process of our evaluation that actually helps us understand how we need to have our relationships and how we um, interact with the community. So through this process of our health health consultation, that helps us see okay, what are our next steps? What do we need to do next? And so through that process, that will help us realize or right, do we need to do what do we need to do next for this in, in the community interaction. So the, so the health risks that we're assessing is totally based on what these sensors are picking up in the air and not based on any on the ground touching people, checking out. No, there's no sampling of any individuals that are asking for this that the outreach team is talking to, not part of the report. It's all sampling, monitoring. Um, Again, it's not just the, the monitors that have been set up by the city. It's also these studies that have been conducted by, I mean, the city has been conducting some of them and having some. EPA has been involved. They've come in and done some additional. Um, air, air sampling, right? Air sampling. Air sampling, yes, correct. Yes, um, and, and that's kind of, we treat that as kind of like the gold standard at this, at this stage in the investigation. Our kind of our first, you know, our first stab, I would say. But, um, you know, we're looking at that air sampling data and we're drawing conclusions based on that. And then like, like Andrea said, we're going from there based on, you know, what we have here. So based on what we have here, we're going to see what further actions are necessary. And, and um, what so kind of data does the epidemiologist typically contribute to a, a report like this? For this one, uh, we had our epidemiologist through our asthma team that actually did, went into databases to look at asthma prevalence and hospitalization rates for asthma um, and provided a report to us of December 2021 to help us consider that information. So there's a, I'm noticing there might be a risk in that data set then because a lot of the people that live in the neighborhoods we're talking about don't have health insurance or don't have access. So simply relying on hospitalizations might not be enough. So is a possible next step actually going out and doing on-the-ground canvassing? Because, I mean, the question I guess I have is, you know, we're talking about emissions, but we're also humans are the receiving end, and we're only looking at one side to determine whether there's a risk over here, and it doesn't really make sense to me. So 
is that part of the next step potentially? Or can you maybe talk about how we look at the actual human impact rather than just the emission side of things? And I would like to take that question back to our epidemiologist team to have them uh, help us help us answer that question for you. That's mm -hmm. In the past, if uh, Department of Health and Human Services report has shown some uh, negative health outcomes, has that triggered some type of further community in engagement, um, sort of canvassing? It can. It can trigger um, health education activities through from the public um, from health and human services. Um, it can trigger uh, steps to help reduce or mitigate that exposure. Like I, my example I used before was, you know, filters for drinking water. Um, it can, we can provide uh, resources for the community uh, to be able to answer questions that they may have, uh, things like that. Do you think it would be possible to get an answer from the epidemiologist by uh, December 23rd or whenever our next meeting is so we can inform the community what, what that I just, it just seems like a huge red flag to me that we're only looking at the emissions side and we're not looking at the receiving side when that's the, the group in question. And I understand as regulators, you guys have a limited purview and also a limited budget, especially in Michigan. I'm sympathetic to that. But looking at air monitoring data is a lot easier than the canvassing side. But the canvassing side is what might reveal the actual extent of the problem. I'm probably going to go out some lane, so you toxicologists like jump in where you can. But you know, when when we talk about these levels, these screening levels that we have, the 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 acute, the intermediate, and the lifetime exposure, that is looking at what really. I mean, that's taking into account that science of what people could be exposed to, breathing in, eating, or touching, and it takes into account. Um, as I think Brandon mentioned earlier before, it has several levels of protection in it that's, you know, if we're looking at an animal study, it has that protection in there as it would relate to a human of saying, okay, if we see this level of um, in the air, then we have, you know, this level that we, then we need to investigate it further. So if we see a level that we are thinking is not going to be causing any harm because it's not there to have that exposure, then that's how we stop that and we stop looking at it because we know, hey, it's here's our screening level. We know that it's not causing any, we know that we, based on the screening level, that adverse effect level is no longer there. So we have this, it, that exposure is not a concern. But when we look at these screening levels and we do see something that is at the screening level or higher than that, that's where our toxicologists on staff go into literature search. They go into more review to determine what does that really look like from the, for that community as they're being exposed? So we have, so it actually gives us a lot of information. You know, when you're talking about looking at, and this is me going out of my lane, and I really want the epidemiologist to answer this, but when you're talking about looking at blood or something like that that's impacted in somebody, we have more exposures than just what we're looking at here through the environmental data. So all of that is taken into account too. Your body, everybody's body reacts to stuff differently. We, you know, we have different metabolisms, so it all interacts differently. So what, when we do our public health assessment, looking at the environmental data or other resources that we have, we have really good science behind that to say, okay, you know, is that exposure something that's really causing a harm or a risk? And I, I, we've got good tools to us. 
So it's, it's, I understand, you know, looking at that canvassing the community and looking, having some kind of a biological sample of people too, does give us an answer, but I think we get really good answers with what the analysis that we do here too. And, and I'll just add one question. Um, Andrea mentioned, you know, when we, when we uh, with regard to our conclusions and our recommendations, she mentioned talking about preparing an action plan. And one element of that action plan will be community engagement. It's just, at this point, we just can't go into what the scope of that is, but there will, there will be some element of community engagement as a part of action plans. Great. Yeah, thank you. I, so I, I hear you in terms of, I trust, I have no reason to distrust you guys on the scientific analysis of the emission side. Um, so I guess I'll conclude, and if, maybe you just answered it, but um, is it in the capacity of the department to actually do this canvassing work? Is this, has this done elsewhere besides the lead crisis? And I, I can say yes, but I really want our epidemiologists to look at it and say what is appropriate or not. They know what is the best epidemiological approach for a community, and they can say yes or no. Sure. Um, it, it has, I mean, we have health studies for PFAS currently going on sure. through our department that is looking at biological samples, hmm. um, but our epidemiologists set up all of those studies. And in reality, um, they determine what is appropriate for a community or not. And it takes a lot to be um, appropriate to do, get to get to that because you're really getting into the level of personally impacting people from blood draws and, and things like that. Um, so it takes a lot to, to get to that point, especially when we have the tools here that can help us answer a lot of the questions. So we don't have to get to that point. So is it possible to commit to at least hearing a response from the epidemiologist by our next meeting? Since we can't commit to when the report will be out, but that would be a nice. I can I can talk to our epidemiologist and get an answer for you. Got two quick questions. Is this report only going to be about hydrogen sulfide, or is formaldehyde and other toxic gases going to be included in this study report? Yeah, I can speak to that. So um, it's not going to be just hydrogen sulfide. Um, there's a, uh, a ton of sampling that's been done, as all of us have mentioned. And the hydrogen sulfide is part hydrogen sulfide sampling is part of a larger group of chemicals called reduced sulfur compounds. Um, and a lot of the sampling that has been done has not been just hydrogen sulfide. It's been all of these reduced sulfurs. Um, some of them have been, you know, non-specific. Total, total reduced sulfurs, and we've had to kind of look at that from a um, um, more detailed approach to kind of see what we can gather from that. Um, we've also had like the speciated results, so you know exactly, you know, here's the hydrogen sulfide, here's your methyl mercaptan, here's your dimethyl disulfide, here's your individual ones. We've looked at all of those. All of those are you know being considered as potential um, health concerns, and we're looking at those and evaluating them appropriately. Um, in addition to those chemicals, we also have data on volatile organic compounds that have been measured from different sampling studies. Um, those were kind of targeted because, you know, it, it were first brought in, the concern was the odor that was getting into the community, and there wasn't a, it wasn't clear what that odor was. Volatile organic compounds, VOCs, um, a lot of them can cause odors, so those were also brought in as potentially odor-causing chemicals and potentially um, health-affecting chemicals. VOCs are also part of it. Um, okay. I think that's it. Um, you mentioned the formaldehyde. Mm -hmm. um, I know the yes. 
the formaldehyde, um, the only sampling we have right now for that is from the drone study um, on the property of um, KWRP, the, the water reclamation plant. Um, we're looking at that. Um, we're considering kind of what conclusions we can make from that. But again, we don't have any sampling in the community for that formaldehyde. So we're kind of limited on, on, on what that. But we are looking at it and seeing what we can. And one other one, what level do most people uh, smell as obnoxious the hydrogen sulfide compared to being toxic? Just when does it become obviously unpleasant? Yeah. Do you know what level that is? I do. Um, well, I guess I, I can tell you more about that. I don't think I know the exact answer, but I can certainly yeah, tell you more. It's going to be different for different people. Exactly. Roughly, roughly. Exactly. And that's that's kind of the crux of it is that it is different for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, so with odor thresholds, you know, a lot of these are calculated based on, you know, uh, individual, you know, smellers who kind of smell things. And it's like, can you, okay, can you detect it? And can you identify it with your kind of levels? Mm -hmm. um, and with the odor thresholds, um, sometimes you get something and you don't know if it's are, are you detecting it? Are you saying there's something here? Are you identifying it, saying, yes, this is a sulfur odor, this is rotten eggs? Um, with hydrogen sulfide, the um, HSCR approved, or the, the, the level that HSCR site puts out is um, a range of 0 0.5 parts per billion to 300. So a pretty well, big range, <laughs> um, but that low end is low. You know, yeah. that's a really low. It's lower than your tolerable long-term level. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. even if you get it very fine, it's, it's unsafe, and you bring it way down to 1.4 per billion or less, there's going to be people who smell it, but they'll be safe. Right. So you, okay. you can have people who are smelling it at levels that are below our screen right. levels, okay. where we would say, you know, there's no health concern here. Um, but again, everyone's different. So you might have someone who's got a really sensitive nose. They can smell it down at 0.5. Um, you have also people who maybe not, they can't smell it until you get to, you know, a couple hundred parts per billion. You know, the level that some people are just, you know, just retching, just this is awful, but some people can't even smell it. Right? So there's a lot of variability there. Thank you. Following up on that, um, without attention to formaldehyde and the oxides of nitrogen, which have been measured exceptionally high, this is going to be an incomplete report that's not going to adequately provide the health data that people need? So, um, I, can, I, can start, I can start to address that. With the formaldehyde especially, you know, we can look at that and we can say, you know, either, yes, this is, you know, something that we need to look more into, or, um, you know, if we can look at that and say if these levels are below our screening values, even if they're off, you know, at, at the water reclamation plant. We can look at that and say, well, if they're below at the source, that doesn't really tell us too much. That doesn't really tell us that there's a concern. Um, with the formaldehyde, you know, we know those levels are above um, what we would use, I, I believe. Um, those were pretty high levels. But, you know, given that they're on the plant's property, the conclusions we can draw from that are limited. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean that we can't get that data, get more data from, you know, whoever. I know that the um, reclamation plant's doing a study right now on their, on their workers for, um, or excuse me, I've already completed that study on their workers formaldehyde. Um, we can certainly look at that and we can update our health consultation when it comes out with that data. Um, we can go back, revise, if, if it changes our conclusions, then we'll go back and revise it and we'll put out a revised health consultation. 
Um, but at this point, like, you know, we've heard from so many, from so many in the community, it's been long enough. And uh, we're, we're certainly not going to wait for that, or wait any longer for, for data to come out before, you know, we put out what we have right now. What about topography? Because I know in my, most of these chemicals are heavier than, than air. I know in my neighborhood, I can smell it really badly in some of the lower areas in the neighborhood up on the hills. You can't smell it at all some days. Um, are you, how are you accounting for topography in your sampling? So I think the best way to account for that is to is for the sampling to be conducted directly in the communities that are experiencing the odors and reporting the health effects. So um, there is sampling that's being done, uh, excuse me, sampling that has been done directly in the north side neighborhood. We've gotten a lot of um, complaints in that neighborhood. Um, specifically at Crown and Property Park, there's been sampling that's been done. Um, and I guess with, with the topography, that can tell us, you know, if there's an, I guess, an added risk for, you know, these chemicals to accumulate. But at the end of the day, what we're relying on is our sampling data. Um, and our, we, we trust our sampling data to tell us, you know, if the chemicals are accumulating, like I said, because of the topography, we expect we'll see that in the sample itself. So, you know, um, it's kind of a, you know, it's a factor and it tells us, you know, what areas are most important for sampling and what areas may be most representative or um, most most impacted. At the end of the day, um, it's sampling results that we're going to rely on to tell us if there's um, a potential problem or, or not a problem. I have a question. I apologize if I if I missed this earlier. Graphic packaging is their cooperation with this process mandatory or voluntary? Like, are they turning information over to you? Are you using sampling data that's available publicly? So we don't have any sampling data directly from graphic packaging. Um, talked a bit about the kind of different uh, sampling studies that we have, but. Um, we have two that were conducted either or paid for by the either the city of Kalamazoo or um, the Kalamazoo Water Reclamation Plant, um, conducted or uh, conducted by environmental contractors and agencies um, that go out do the sampling and then do the testing and reports back. Um, the EPA has also come in and done sampling, um, and I guess the only data that we've gotten directly from graphic packaging has been um, their environmental monitors have. Um, up at their plants. Um, they did do a odor study back in, um, it was very, very preliminary. The data we got from that was not really anything we could use um, for our assessment. Um, so the, the, limit, the usefulness of that was pretty limited, um, but we did get that from them when they. Um, do you receive that data from Eagle that received it from the ground? I think we did. I think we probably did receive that from Eagle. A lot of the data that we received, um, Eagle from the um, from the. Let us know and, and get that to us. And was that a, a, a voluntary sharing on their part, or is that something that they required through through Eagle to provide their EnviroSuite data? No, I don't know if we can answer that yeah. fully or not. We probably know. need the answer to be from Eagle. Um, okay. Yeah. From visiting the odor task force over the last few years, that wasn't uh, really voluntary. Okay. Uh, graphic packaging uh, was working with Eagle. Um, uh, 
what's the what's the they're working towards a consent decree is that the right is that the right verbiage mm -hmm. um uh and eagle just uh issued a fine uh based on emissions and uh they so you know they were they were under threat of fine and then they did um uh issue a fine so it wasn't particularly voluntary any other questions I could just one more. Um, yeah. You mentioned community stress. Um, can you define that and tell us how you're measuring that? Because I'm not familiar with that uh, rubric. Yeah. So I can, I can talk about that a bit. So um, one of the one of the benefits of being an ATSDR partner is that um, ATSDR has a lot of really good information um, about conducting these types of events. Um, and one of the um, one of the newer kind of training modules that they put out is kind of how to identify and um, evaluate community stress as it pertains to environmental contamination. So they've noticed this with you know, every website of environmental contamination been exposed or believe they've been exposed. That's a concern for a lot of people, and that's that's affecting. So um, that module is available. Um, I'd like to to review it yourself. Um, but that kind of just tells you, you know, what what does it mean for, you know, community stress? What does it mean? Basically, um, you know, the anxiety, I would say, of um, feeling or, or thinking you're exposed and not knowing what that's doing. Um, and um, kind of more information about what, how that can affect um, individuals who have been exposed or may have been exposed. I'd really appreciate it. If you're able to share that, I'd like to look at that. Thank you. Anybody else? All right, I think that wraps up our questions. Did you have anything else uh, that you wanted to share share with the committee? Yeah, I think the one thing that we didn't get to is that when this document, our health consultation is released, um, our community engagement and health educators um, have a plan for that dissemination. Um, so based on uh, what those community needs are, what that best dissemination plan is, is if it's, if it's electronic hard copy or not, um, we'll develop that plan will be in place before the document is final. But we also um, will be um, having a public meeting where we will present the health consultation to the community and it will definitely have an opportunity for question and answers during that time. That does it. Thanks so much for uh, coming out this evening. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. We yep. appreciate Thank your work. You. Great questions for us. Thank you very much. All right. You are welcome to hang around for the uh, the rest of our meeting if you would like. Um, but we really kind of have some more. Uh, we've got some committee business that we have to take care of that's maybe not quite as exciting for. <laughs> for I will. I will uh, say. Um, nice to meet you all, and thank yeah. you for having yeah. us. Thank, yeah. you so much. <laughs> thank you all again. Andrew. Thank you so much. All right. Um, moving on here uh, to our next uh, agenda item, um, looking at subcommittee uh, assignments and tasks. Are we kind of all, all set there? Bobby's still doing the NFP review board. Um, Bobby and Sharon, I did connect you guys, uh, talk about air and water quality. Um, Gail, you're still good doing the wildlife and natural resource yep. production in the um, and tree. And tree committee. Uh, waste management and litter. 
No, no. Not currently, I think. Okay. Anybody have any interest in picking that up? Sharon's done a created it. Yeah. Before, so if no one's interested in right. making it be a thing, then it right. can be on the side for now. Sort of, yeah. Sort of nix that one. Okay. Uh, that one. Uh, planning Commission, Ian, were you planning on continuing on that? Sure. Yeah, okay. Uh, the committee, Asylum Lake Policy and Management Council, Sharon's still doing that. Uh, Parks and Rec, advisory board, is that over? Okay. Did I get? What's that? Did I get kicked? Um, yeah, I think you were absent uh, okay. at a meeting, and we, I don't. I thought we had. I thought we had done an email about that. Are you still interested in participating? Parks I can Rec? assist. I, it's the thing being the day that they meet, I can't always make, but okay. I try to bring their minutes and everything. But okay. Um, if I'm needed somewhere else, that's fine too. Okay. Okay. Um, well, head protection uh, program committee quarterly with Jane Tamanda. What did we, what did we talk? We talked about maybe this month, but things got busy. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't know if you wanted an update or not. Well, we're gonna talk about uh, if we're gonna meet again um, next month. Okay. So maybe uh, maybe we present next month. Sure. Um. Uh, David's doing the Camas River Watershed Council. I, I would be interested in staying on as uh, an associate member to keep doing the order task force. Joe Bauer mentioned that maybe he would like to do that. Um, so I'd be fine with that, whatever anybody thinks. Um, I'd really like to stick with it until um, they start, you know, getting through with some of these with some of these order mitigation projects. Um, I've got a lot of time and reading and effort and relationships and you know involved and I'd really rather just kind of keep going with it. I don't know that I would come back to visit. I'd probably just kind of you know provide uh, written notes of, of what happened. So if you guys are good with that, I'd, I'd be happy to continue doing that. Sure. Um, okay. Um, you and Joe could do it together. Yeah, you know, that, yeah, and I'd be fine with that too. Maybe he can make some time. Maybe I can make some time. Right. And if Joe's still member, then maybe he can report on some of the stuff. Right. Um, so, yeah. Because yeah. it would be good to have somebody who can report to the EGC. Yeah. So you don't yeah. want to come and visit us when you're just an associate member? Well, I don't know. I mean, I've been doing it. I've been doing it for. I know. I've been doing it for six years, and I think it's time for for a break. But I would like to continue going to those yeah. meetings to keep bothering people. Um, so, That's what it takes. Uh, so, um, all right, uh, ECC applicants, so we have an applicant. All right, come on, come on here and uh, have a seat and let's chat. What's your name again? Steve, Steve, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Okay, well, Steve, I'll tell you right at the outset, we've got one open seat <laughs> and we have one, one live candidate. Uh, we did have three candidates, one had to drop out because Ian noticed that she was in the township. You have to be a uh, resident of the city. And uh, there was another person that was supposed to come tonight and she actually canceled at the last minute. And because of her job, she kind of realized that she didn't know if she could commit to coming, like she'd be able to get that time off. So, uh, so uh, I did share with the committee uh, some of Steve's uh, answers to our uh, questionnaire. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I've been a resident. Uh, in fact, I, I was looking down here, and what was interesting is I'm right in front, where I live is right in front of asylum, right? So I definitely have a stake in this. Uh, 
stake in that area. Um, lived here for about almost six and a half years. So I'm not a native Michigander. I grew up in Washington, D.C. Um, floated from about seven different companies, Fortune 500 companies, uh, over my career. Longest stint was originally with AT&T. Uh, I eventually moved to Dallas-Fort Worth, where I lived on and off for about 17 years before moving here. And the plan that I had, which I was thankfully able to do, uh, was retire within five years. So about a year and a half ago is when I retired. So it was interesting in looking through some of the questions about that time is not so much of a commitment. Uh, um, I definitely have time. So, you know, the way that I, I don't know, I'm, I'm happy to answer. I don't have any family in the area for what it's worth. So I've been doing a lot of volunteer activity, particularly with Meals on Wheels. That's just been my particular passion at this point. And, um, you know, when I was, it was, it was strange because I like to make sure that I stay busy. Um, I'm a volunteer DJ up at Western University, and so doing all kinds of stuff like that. But I wanted to see if I could make some contribution directly with the city. And so when I saw this advertised on the website, that's why I put my name in. Questions do you have? Who's got me? I'm going to be completely transparent. I did not read those. Yeah, so I guess I just want to know, like, what are what are uh, environmental concerns for you that, you know, are just sort of top of Well, for me, I mean, I know it's a very broad topic, but it's around global warming. Um, I, I still, I know there are a lot of details and different pieces that fall under that. So always being a recycler and always doing things, even when I lived in Texas, even when you weren't supposed to, um, it was always something that's always been very important to me. Um, now, I know it gets a lot granular as you look within a particular city and what causes that. Um, but I come back to that still being a primary concern. So that is my biggest motivation for wanting to get involved with this. Now, I also realize that this group looks at a lot more specific areas. I mean, the fascinating discussion that you had with this group. Um, so, but that's really what's propelling me to do this. That answer? Yeah. Right. Cool. You got any outdoor recreational things you like to do? Outdoor recreational, other than working out every day? Um, <laughs> well, that's. Um, Fishing, <laughs> fishing, hunting. Never you know, been a hunter. Birding, birding, anything like that. No, um, I, you know the jobs that I've had have all been within human resources. So a lot of the work was spent, and I mentioned some of this in the questions too. I worked as uh, an executive coach and an internal consultant. So uh, outdoor activities. You know, other than playing pickup football games or basketball okay. games or things like that, um, never really been a hunter. Okay. No. Not a, not opposed to it, but it's just not my thing. No gardening, agriculture. Um, well, I intentionally moved into a single-family condo. There's some condos that line right in front of us. So you don't have to leave. 
good. Yeah, I had my no, no. I had my uh, I had my sense of weeding when I was growing up. That was my responsibility in with a push mower cutting the lawn every week. <laughs> so I kind of outgrew that. Okay. Just fair question. Well, expertise is not a requirement as being on the board, but uh, would you consider yourself a quick learner at least? Because that's, that's really what we need. Well, remember I said I worked for seven different companies and my stints in there um, was generally within the same discipline, performance management, succession planning, but every company does something a little different. So in answer directly to your question, yeah, I'm a quick learner. Um, a lot of the technical questions you were asking, you, you know, some of the other members, um, I do not, I do not have a scientific background, but I do know how to research. I do know how to ask people questions. I do know um, how to listen to their questions or their answers so that it can provide some follow-up. So I think I am a quick learner, um, but I use a lot of my, you know, consulting asking questions and doing things like that in order to at least get a little more understanding around what they're talking about and why it's so important to them. Did that answer your It did, yeah. Um, for the record, I don't have a scientific background either. Uh, you must be a quick learner too. Maybe so. Um, and so one challenge we do have is uh, the neighborhood you're in is the same one I'm in. It's the same one Jim's in. It's the same one Gail's in. Okay. Oh, yeah. no, oh. Winchell? No, no, no. She's each. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then three of us. Okay. So heavily represented. Um, so I guess one of the main things that I was wondering in terms of uh, just kind of getting involved, what made you choose ECC over uh, any of the other boards that we have? Frankly, I was not interested necessarily in their subjects. I'm not opposed to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, you know, I had to prioritize, and given the fact that it's Wednesday, that, that just helps me, you know, be able to budget my calendar correctly. But really, that was, you know, two reasons. One, I wanted to prioritize, and yours came to the surface, and um, I didn't really probe any of the others. We meet uh, once a month, but most of us participate more than that. Uh, you heard me mention all the different subcommittees that we mm -hmm. do. Um, Sharon, over the last few years, has really spearheaded a uh, uh, styrofoam recycling project. Um, so it's more than just getting together and, and doing these meetings here. We, we try to be uh, active, you know, uh, aside from just um, uh, discussing and, and sending recommendations to the, to the city commission. Would you be, you know, available or interested in, in doing any of that sort of stuff? Yes. Um, and mainly because I'm retired. And okay. as, as one of the people I, I help with on Meals on Wheels told me, he says, yeah, it's really the only thing that I've got at this point. Okay. So I've got time that I can invest in. Okay. okay. Any other questions? No? Okay. Um, let's, let's just go ahead. Let's skip the rigmarole. We've sent the person out. In the past, we've sent the person out, but we're streaming, so it's like this silly thing. So. Uh, is, is there, yeah, so uh, we have a, a relevant motion here. I move that Steve be our new member of the, of the ECC. Okay. Second. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? All right, Steve, 
welcome aboard. And I will um, send your name along. Uh, so this is Jean Talanda. She is our city liaison officer. She works at the um, water reclamation. But no, you don't work with water. You work work on stock birds, right? Okay, right, right. Um, so I will send your name along to her, and she will send your name along to the city clerk who will then send it in a packet to the city commission, who will then approve it, and it's a whole bureaucratic process. Um, but, uh, you know, you're welcome to come back uh, next month, if we meet next month. So that's our next, um, and you're welcome to hang out the rest of the time here and, and, and participate here. But it's, it's okay if I go, right? I just have some other obligations. Yeah, yeah, you are I also welcome to, yeah, yeah, if you've got something else, uh, we look forward to having you uh, here next time we meet. Um, and I've got your email, so I will add you to our email list. And we've got a, a shared Google Drive. There's a whole pile of uh, okay. folders and, and stuff we've collected over the last few years. And should I presume the 23rd unless I hear differently? The third one. So, yeah, unless you hear, you'll hear from me. Uh, there will be an email that will go out to everybody because there's a few folks uh, here, uh, whether we're going to meet next uh, next month and then um, what our schedule will be for, for next year. But right now, the third Wednesday of every month at 430. So. Okay. I can at least start to block that out. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks so nice much. Nice meeting Thank everybody. You. Yeah, you All right. So that brings us to our uh, meeting schedule for next year. Um, I got uh, email from city clerk. You got an email from the city clerk. Um, just saying that we need to send um, our meeting schedule so that the city can post it uh, uh, publicly. We don't have to, we don't have to like vote on it. Um, we just have to sort of agree on it informally and then send it, correct? Yeah, they just need to populate the date. Right. And then they'll have it on civic, uh, civic clerk. Okay, great. So it's you know right available now, for the public to, to take a look at. Right now, it's on our website. Okay. okay. So the question is, do we want to maintain the same meeting schedule, the third Wednesday of every month at 4.30? Yeah. Everybody's good with that? Yeah. There's no? Okay. All right. Then we'll stick with that and I'll... Uh, that's the other question we had to ask. Is it possible that we meet a week earlier? Second Wednesday instead of the third? No. I yeah. have... I mean... So, no, okay. I but that's why I'm asking. It's not on the second Wednesday and okay. the third Wednesday. Right. And it's either our regular schedule that we did a year ago or whatever. Or we don't. Or not. Yeah. <laughs> right. Were you talking about... Every month or just December? No, just December. Oh, just December. We have to stick to the date that we agreed on last year. So, so it's not possible. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, what do we think about uh, a December meeting? If, you know, it doesn't sound like these folks are, are going to have a report for us to take a look at. And I know that's what we kind of mentioned, but what, what does everybody else think? I would have a problem, but I think the big thing was your transition, wasn't it? Well, yeah, we would. I think we would need to do that tonight if uh, uh, if I we're not going to meet in December. You you can't make it in December. No, okay. Not this one. Okay. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's the question. Could we even establish quorum if, if we <laughs> yeah. do? So we need what six, five? Right. We would need. Well, we would need uh, six still, right? Okay. Yeah. Maybe with the. We've got eleven. No. I could be oh. here. Yeah. I, I could. I could be here. We can do an email poll, um, just everybody who, who can attend yeah. those commitments. I, I can make it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. You can you make it? Yeah, I can make it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody wants I think to. if we didn't have so many big things on the burner, I, I would agree that maybe we could skip it. But yeah. I think we 
again. I'm not okay. Uh, okay. checking it. Yeah, so everybody can make it. I'll, yeah, I'll definitely and make it. nothing else that's named the topic could be okay. transition. Okay. Well, I'll email then everybody. I, I will probably have enough for a quorum, which means that next month we can talk about um, officers uh, going okay. forward. Cool. Okay. Uh, well, it's six o'clock. Uh, do we want to take a look at our subcommittee reports? I don't know that, that it'll take that long. Um, Bobby is not here. Um, I assume you and Bobby have not met, Sharon. Okay. Uh, Gail, anything with wildlife and natural resource protection? No, just the announcement I made about uh, some forward movement on the Urban Bird Treaty. I don't have anything else. Okay. Uh, Planning Commission? I missed Okay. Nothing, sorry. Okay. Uh, anything with the Tree Committee? Uh, yeah, I forgot to bring some numbers. Um, we did meet this month and talked about the um, Safe streets around the Winchell School, mm -hmm. and um, they did initially identify a lot of trees that needed to be removed. They were able to go through and fine tune that, and um, make some jogs in the sidewalk plans. Mm -hmm. And so, um, a lot fewer trees are going to be removed because you know they took a second look at. It. And I I forgot to bring those numbers with me, but it okay. was a pretty it was a pretty like it was from thirty something trees down to thirteen. Mm -hmm. Sorry, what, what know, was the project again? This Winchell putting sidewalks along Winchell. Oh, they're finally doing that. Yes. Okay. Well, that that's that's the that's the project. So yeah, the yeah, okay. little kiddos can walk safe to school. Okay. Was the tree committee responsible for all the trees going in? curbside around the city? Yeah. Okay. Well, not, I mean, I didn't personally. But, but the, well, I remember Sharon talking about it. So. The city has their own, and then there's a couple of grassroots okay. Right, right, yeah. Because so they finally made it to the Westwood neighborhood, but I didn't know what kind of guidance well, they had, because I saw the guys put them in, and I just kind of chatted them up a little bit, and they didn't know the type of trees that they were putting in and they were doing the uh, volcano mulch mounds and yeah, everything and I, i'm just I, like well I'm, it's, it's <laughs> a, you know it's, i don't know who installed them I, whether it was city staff or whether it was a consult you know like a, a subcontractor mm. which i suspect it was it's, yeah because um, i wanted know, to encourage them going in but they were going in like the strangest yeah. Method. Yeah, and I, I'm invasive ones that there's some problems, yes. Yeah, under power lines, I'm like, do we know how tall these are going to well, get? There's, there's like there is a, okay, there is a standard. So tall trees, only tall trees go on the side of the street that does not have power lines on it. Mm -hmm. Medium and small. To. Yeah, medium yeah. trees go under the power line. So there's a certain height of what the mature tree is supposed to be. Um, and you know they're committed to putting in uh, hundreds of trees a year. Uh, part of the problem has been availability. You know who are they getting? How are they going to find the trees from whom? Um, um, you know this is something that actually I wanted to maybe put on the agenda and take up next time or some future time because I've gotten a lot of feedback from people about the species of trees um, and. Um, People seem to be, you know, all got their shorts tied in a knot about a, a lot of that. Um, 
the short answer is not like any record keeping of what's going in where. Or no, I'm sure there is a record keeping. I don't. I don't. I'm not. I'm not the one keeping those. <laughs> and um, I did notice some trees that were planted in my neighborhood, like the old, you know, like when it was done last year. They left the tags on the trees. I'm like, ooh, who's gonna? A couple of those. <laughs> this year, there's no tags on the trees. So, um, and I think it's just it's from a different supplier. And um, I, so I can't tell you what trees are going in where, but the city knows what trees they bought. Because okay. um, we had some tags, but they weren't labeled. They were just colors. Right, yeah, there's some just flags. And I'm sure that's like this tree is sold. Um, okay. But I have gotten, um, you know, feedback from concerned citizens that, you know, they, they feel that, there should be native trees that are going in, and so that's something that, you know, of course, I am a big advocate of on the tree committee as well as just in general. Um, and some of the challenges are, you know, I, I tell these people that are all, you know, all agitated. It's like, go find me some native trees and shrubs. Find them. Find the suppliers that can supply that many hundreds of trees right. to the city that are big enough size that they can actually put them in and you know not survive. have somebody run over right. with their lawnmower. Right. Um, and that's the real challenge. So you know perhaps a future discussion from the tree committee could be um, of like let's try to think outside the box. Yeah. If we even need to find a supplier who is willing to hold trees for X number of years until they're mature enough to put in? Mm -hmm. Or how can we go further afield? You know, like, to, to really encourage the city to, to do this, but, you know, it's availability. You know, it's like you, I, I had to drive across the state to find some teeny little, teeny little natives to put in my yard, and I could put them in because I can baby them and put them in a cage, and I know that they're there and mm -hmm. I wanted them. You know, you can't put a tree that size in right. somebody. Right. It, in a curb lawn, it, it's, you know, it's okay. not going to survive. So, anyway, that is that is the challenge. So, it's like, you know, if you don't like the trees that they're coming up with, then go find go find us some better trees because they're just, it, it's hard, you know. It's just not availability. Uh, Sharon? Or, as I like? Yeah. So they, uh, we had a big meeting and um, we went over a management plan and basically the draft and there's going to be a public review that I can announce either later December or January. We haven't set the date yet, probably in either January or February 2023 that the public's welcome to come and go through um, and it's like a 38-page plan of how to manage kind of like, so pretty cool. That's the biggest thing. Uh, Parks and Rec? Um, I was not able to meet, make the last meeting, but I know they were also looking at some new board member applications. Okay. Setting their date. Okay. Pretty simple agenda. Yeah. Oh, wow. um, yeah. Gene, why don't you maybe plan on, on next month giving us an update from the um, Wellhead Protection Program Committee? Sure. That'd be great. I think we last heard from you maybe in the summer. I think it's been a while, yeah. Uh, David, you said you're be at the meeting is next week. Okay. Uh, same thing for Order Task Force, the um, meeting invite 
our poll, you know, just went out uh, for that. So that uh, that group will probably meet uh, at some point before the end of the year, I believe, sometime in December. So, uh, do we have any other callers or any other comments from the audience? We did get the air quality, um, but uh, we did skip the air and water quality uh, subcommittee report, correct. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, just a question, I guess. So with the with James Baker's presentation last month, was there like slides or anything that went out for that? <laughs> He did. He did share that okay. that presentation, and okay. I put it in the um, I put it in the the ECC shared drive. Okay, I'll take um, a look at that. I was just curious. Okay, but. yeah, it would be in. Where is that? Wait, that's work. No callers and no other questions from the audience. No? Okay. Uh, anything else for the good of the order? Did, did you have a question? Just a comment. Um, you know, I, I'm hearing that your comments um, that that work is under the direction of public services. You know, we have a city forest service of arborist. Um, we have specifications for trees. We've got you know big contracts and everything that tells us Adjourned. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah, thank you. Good work. Good day. Good, yeah. Good. 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 Good.